It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe and rate us to help others find the shows. My name is Natalie Bucknell and I'm joined today by my co-host Kay Wenigal. Hi Nat, hi listeners. Okay, today we have a type of good news story that we need more of. We do. We do. And it's very exciting, actually. Yes, and we have our guest in studio today, which is exciting <laughs> too. I love that. An Australian renewable technology company leading the way and exporting to the world and taking up where the fossil fuel vehicle industry has failed so far. We'll be talking to Sea Electric's Regional Director of Oceania, Glenn Walker. Glenn has a long career in trucking and transport and apparently was originally an electric transport sceptic prior to joining Sea Electric 10 weeks ago. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Nat. Hello, Kay. Thanks very much for having me. And We're... thanks for converting. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You've seen the light. Indeed. Hallelujah. Well, we'd really like to discuss that. But before we get into it, can you tell us the background about how Sea Electric came to life? Sure. Sea uh, Electric is, is a technology company, first and foremost, and we are adapting uh, components, off-the-shelf components, and putting them into uh, a previously unused environment, that is, is commercial vehicles. And so trucks, vans. So trucks and vans, yeah. And our, the, the, the software that we produce is, is really clever. It, it look at us as a, as a conductor of an orchestra. And Ooh. and that and that um, music to my ears. Indeed, and that that software is able to, uh, I guess, manage uh, the the very different requirements and characteristics of an electric drivetrain uh, when compared to the traditional diesel drivetrain of of those vehicles. So, what changed your mind about electric transport? Oh well, it was a phone call, to be perfectly honest, um, and uh, an opportunity. And it was a, an opportunity that uh, I was I was really really glad to to take with both hands, and it it became uh, very apparent that the company had uh, come a very very long way in a very short period of time. It's it's been driven by a, a group of very very passionate, um, technologically savvy people, um, and and people that that are, are, are true believers in what. Uh, I guess electricity can do as a replacement um, energy source uh, from uh, fossil fuels. So, what are the aspects of electrical transport that have converted you? What, in what ways are they competitive or better than the alternatives? Transport or, or commercial vehicles, the purchasing process is very different from that of cars. Cars, uh, there's a lot of um, ir irrational thought processes associated with the purchasing of a car that if you want a particular style of vehicle you've got a huge range of price points 
and and the car can very much become seen as an extension an extension of yourself or how you want other people to perceive you a, a commercial vehicle on the other hand fundamentally first and foremost the vehicle has to be right for an application and in our case electric vehicles are suited to applications that are 250 kilometres or so each day, uh, start at uh, one place and return to that one place at the end of the day, plug into a charger, do it all over again the next day. So if the application is right, and in um, capital cities there's a lot of transport vehicles that have the right application, it fundamentally has to have a competitive whole-of-life cost when compared to a diesel. If it doesn't, freight will cost more, competitors will take your work and the inevitable bad result ultimately happens. So the thing with an electric vehicle is it does genuinely have a competitive whole of life cost because whilst financing costs are higher from the purchase price, the vehicle fundamentally costs less to run and operate. Fuel, maintenance, servicing and the like significantly cheaper than the existing products required for a diesel. So we'll get on to, to more of those um, intricacies, but what regions do you operate in? Wow, good question. We, we are a truly global company. Um, we have uh, uh, development platforms currently underway in North America. Uh, we're working with a comp uh, companies like Roush and Fontaine in partnership with Ford, uh, developing their vehicles. We have a a UPS postal delivery service vehicle that's uh, been electrified um, and others in that marketplace. We're working in, uh, let's see, South Africa, Thailand, Israel, New Zealand, Australia, of course, and Japan. Uh, right now, we have people in those markets uh, installing our products, uh, developing our products, creating electrified vehicles. So when you, so as an example, We'll take Ford. When you go to Ford, what is it that you actually provide for Ford? The the vehicle that we're working on uh, with Ford and uh, and Roush, for example, and Roush is to Ford like HSV was to Holden here mm. in Australia. Um, and so Ford have certain criteria, certain um, hurdles they have to overcome to justify particular developments. And the chassis that we're working on is called the F59. It's, uh, it's a relatively old platform, and uh, Ford has chosen uh, to develop the electrified version of that platform in partnership with Roush and ourselves. And um, so we've had uh, uh, the development work, the design work and so on happens in Australia, um, and we've sent people over to the US to help them with the actual conversions and the dyno testing and the acceptance testing and, and those sorts of things. But this chassis is underneath most American school buses, those yellow buses that you see, those postal vehicles that you see. They make an extraordinarily large number of these vehicles every year. Wow. So you, we were talking about vans and trucks before, but you are saying... Buses is another opportunity. Yeah, quite realistically, yes. We um, we're in in uh, conversations with someone here in Australia at the moment to um, receive our first uh, bus that uh, we we plan to put a, an electric drivetrain in. Okay. What sort of use is that for? It would be. It's a smaller bus. It's not your uh, your large uh, three axle bus. It's a two axle bus. It's got a low flat floor, um, and it's it's quite suited to an electric 
vehicle conversion, and it would be for, um, well, you know, 20, 30 passengers, short-haul type work, not, uh, not long-distance, you know, interstate, go-and-visit-airs-rock type work. But, um, yeah, it's an ideal application, return to base every day. How many vehicles, how many sea electric vehicles are there in the world? Uh, somewhere, somewhere between 80 and 100, um, and that sounds vague because we've got a number of vehicles in process of being built. So depending upon whether they're produced or whether they're still in a production process, um, where if you add vehicles we've built and all of the vehicles that we have on order at the moment, it's, it's in excess of 100. Oh, that's very exciting. What t- time period is that over? About two and a half years. Hmm, that's pretty good. Yeah, it it, uh, it starts it starts slow, um, and uh, always does. W- and then dur- during our startup phase, that's right. And uh, I guess you could say we're moving more from startup into growth now, and uh, and the tipping point is close. It's it's very close. What's a tipping point? When the momentum of the market uh, takes over. And is that different in different countries? Yes, very much so. Different uh, Australia is uh, unique um, in the OECD world in that we don't have a policy for electric vehicles. Um, most other countries in that developed world have some sort of uh, a policy platform that creates an incentive. It doesn't have to be a monetary incentive. Uh, some countries have monetary incentives. North America, believe it or not, have some significant monetary incentives for electric vehicle development. So too does New Zealand, number of countries in Europe, of course. Um, but uh, Australia, um, unfortunately, is somewhat lacking. So you started off in Australia very recently, in the last few years, and quickly spread overseas because the incentives weren't here in Australia? Um in, in part, you, you, do, you do spend time in markets where there's a, a, a more welcoming atmosphere, that's true. Um, but in, in having said that, uh, certainly the, the state government here in Victoria has been particularly support, supportive of the company and we've certainly felt welcomed by, uh, uh, by the Andrews government in, in this state, which has been nice. So a lot of people say that it's difficult to set up some kind of manufacturing in Australia. So you're saying that hasn't been the case in Sea Electric's experience? In, in, not in Victoria, no. Um, it's, as I said, we've, we've been made to feel very welcome and we've had uh, a, a lot of help and support, both in terms of you know, planning, regulatory hurdles that you, you happen upon from time to time. But um, no, we felt nothing but supported so far in, in our journey. And you've got some plans to expand your production facilities? Yeah, look, we do. um, And we're quite excited by those plans because uh, in saying we're a technology company, which we are, um, there is a a hard edge to that technology, and that is we have to produce things on wheels or someone has to produce things on wheels. And in a market where there's, um, uh, I I guess, a a slowing Indigenous capability to produce vehicles uh, in Australia, we find ourselves having to fill that void. So we do a lot of conversion work here in Australia, which is different from how we approach most other markets, where we work in partnership with another provider um, and license our technology once we've proven it in uh, in the real world. So what I'd like, like to highlight the story about where 
you're planning your new production facilities for those conversions. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Look, we're, we're looking at, at the Yarra Valley. Uh, not the Yarra Valley, my goodness. Uh, if we were setting up a vineyard, <laughs> we would, in, in the Latrobe Valley. Uh, and that's in part uh, because of, uh, I guess, their knowledge and experience with all things electrical. Um, and it's also, uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat close to where we currently are in Dandenong. So we've already uh, drawn a, a large pool of our workforce um, from the Latrobe Valley mm, as well. That's great, isn't it? Um, but um, look, it's, the market will ultimately be the decider. Um, and at the moment, where we've got some really positive conversations happening with uh, some of the local original equipment manufacturers, or OEMs as we call them, and um, those partnerships, uh, once they come to fruition, will will provide some significant additional volumes for uh, for our factory, uh, and indeed our expansion plans. So these are the manufacturers whose chassis you are converting, is that? Yeah, currently. Um, we we take what is a vehicle with an engine, perfectly good engine, transmission, radiator, exhaust system, and they get removed, and we then put our system in. And uh, in in the the world of production efficiency, that's the definition of waste. And what would be a, a, a better option for us would be to tap into the production process in the country of origin and bring in uh, what we would call a semi-knocked-down kit. So we would then complete the assembly, complete with our um, powertrain, and and that, or, or someone would. I'd imagine that's just a matter of time before that happens. Uh, indeed. Yeah, so it's just the evolution of this whole process. Yes, it is, it? yeah. And um, and as I said, we've got some, um, you know, some really good conversations happening with uh, uh, some of the known brands here in Australia that um, are along those lines. My impression is some of them might be resistant if they were planning to do their own in-house electrical version of vehicles. That, that's a really good question. And um, I, I initially thought that too. But um, within each truck uh, brand, there are lots and lots of models. And each of those models takes time to, to develop. Um, our platform is is very modular. It's very scalable. And... So it dramatically reduces the time to deployment within those different model platforms. And, and that's one of the key benefits of what we do. And so we're, we're probably five years ahead of where those manufacturers are. And if in five years' time they have their bright and shiny product offering coming out of the factory, well, hopefully we're still five years ahead of them doing whatever the development is. And, and we're finding... You know, batteries, for example, um, uh, we've just got a new range of batteries uh, come into the product and they're uh, two-fifteenths more efficient than what the previous batteries were. So it's, it's technology is, is just developing all of the time, prices are changing all of the time, and it's, uh, it's nice to be in, a, in an industry that is just so bright and shiny and new and, and we're all still learning how it works. Changing so quickly. Yeah, it is. Listeners, if you've just joined us, we're speaking with Glenn Walker from Sea Electric about electric commercial vehicles. Just backtracking a bit, Glenn, I'm not sure that we covered off exactly what sort of range we're talking about with the vehicles that Sea Electric yep. delivers. Well, as I said, the application is is the first critical element to uh, the suitability of an electric vehicle. And our vehicles, uh, we generally look to... 
uh, I guess, uh, routes that are 250 kilometres and, and less. Um, now, within that, we can go more than 250 kilometres, depending upon the type of application, and in some cases, it's less than 250 kilometres. And where that um, change occurs is in the nature of the driving. If there's a lot of stop-start, then that extends the range and extends the time because we have some very successful regenerative technologies that uh, replace the braking force mm. of the vehicle. Um, garbage trucks. Garbage trucks are the perfect example. Um, and uh, uh, then conversely, if the vehicle is travelling at 90 or 100 kilometres an hour all day, every day, that's not helpful for an electric vehicle because at those speeds, a significant portion of the motor's power is used simply opening up the hole in the air for the vehicle to pass through. So mm. wind resistance becomes a real issue at high speeds. And you mentioned a big advantage for commercial operators is the really low servicing. Yeah. Um, another advantage you mentioned before the show, which I hadn't thought about previously, was possible benefit for noise curfews. Yes, the driving, and this was one of the things that I found so confronting early in my um, my journey with Sea Electric, that to drive one of these vehicles is is quite confronting to the senses. It, it's quiet, mm. um, and uh, it's also you, you hear the wind noise, mm. and you hear other noises that you don't normally hear when you're driving a a loud clunky diesel, and and I, I found that. Um, just as I said, really confronting. It, it defied everything I'd ever experienced um, pr prior to then. You're a bit of a car maniac, can't you? Well, I am. Yes, everyone so has a weakness, you're and so that's used mine. To that noise. Uh, I, Whereas I, Nat and I find it really zen. Well, I, I did. I did. Uh, a, a good friend of mine um, uh, had a, a Tesla Model X loan for the day, and we terrorised the streets of Glen Iris, where I live, in this vehicle, and I. I said to him that I would gladly give up a few tenths of a second to 100 kilometres an hour if you could make it sound like an AMG. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You just can't it's part of the experience. <laughs> so on that topic, you, you recently presented uh, on the case for electric trucks and why they differ from electric cars. Uh, so doing that car and truck comparison, how, how do they differ? It's... Um, it's is this what you were talking about earlier about well, that it, irrational market? It is. Market it, it's it's about how they're purchased. That's true, but it's also about what the vehicle has to actually achieve. That we can make our our vehicles more efficient, but they would cost more. We could make them have better performance. I, I can do burnouts in a truck if that's what you want me to do, but that's not what they're designed to do. So our our electrical system is designed very specifically for the requirements of the heavy transport industry. So, for example, um, we use three-phase uh, three charging. Now, three-phase charging mm -hmm. may not be the most efficient, but it's the lowest cost because every workshop has three-phase power. We put our three-phase chargers, our DC, to, uh, DC converters, and for no cost absolutely no cost, you can then charge your vehicle in eight hours overnight, safe with the knowledge it's ready to go the next day. And they're the differences with cars and trucks. It's, it's how it's packaged and the fact that cost and performance relative to the commercial vehicle's requirements are paramount, which is quite different from a, a car electric vehicle. 
Companies like IKEA Australia have announced a commitment to using electric-only vehicles for its operations and services by 2025 worldwide as part of the vision to create a better future for people. Is that a market that you see that you can move into? Uh, absolutely, and a, and a good shout-out to the good folk at IKEA. We have three vehicles running around with them at oh. the moment. Um, so, uh, yes, we, we've been a, a beneficiary of some of those programs and policies, the good folk at Woolworths, uh, the good folk at CleanAway, um, and indeed the good folk at the city of Yarra, not, not far from here, have, uh, have been good supporters of our product. And in a world where a lot of the, the work of transport vehicles or commercial vehicles in urban environments now is business to consumer, we're mm. getting groceries delivered to homes, books, services um, and those sorts of things, the electrified vehicles in that environment are, are a real um, necessary requirement from urban congestion, uh, noise, pollution of course, um, and it, it's, a, it's a good environment for electrified vehicles. You just mentioned the city of Yarra, is that your NPR EV tip track? <laughs> yes it is, yes it is. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, we, uh, we, we delivered it last Friday, um, and it was one of the most exciting uh, vehicle deliveries I've ever been associated with, and I've been associated with, with many. <laughs> but um, uh, Danae Bosler, I think, uh, is, is the mayor of the city of Yarra, and to see the look of unbridled joy on her face um, in seeing this electric truck was was priceless and I, I actually started talking to her about the features advantages and benefits and she cut me off and she said glenn you're confusing me with someone who's interested in that stuff this is an electric vehicle and that's all i'm <laughs> interested in and it was um it was yeah it was good to see a, a i guess a local um council in melbourne supporting the product that way uh, doesn't the city of casey also do have indeed that? indeed and i shouldn't i shouldn't um but know, they weren't as happy oh no, no they, they <laughs> were happy excited. too they were happy too um and and look in in fairness too we are talking to a, a a number of good folk in in councils across melbourne whether it's marinda and burundara and kingston and so on so they're they're the uh burundara are you because those garbage trucks are so noisy they are <laughs> they are <laughs> and the city of burundara is looking at that many many cities are looking at our product at wow. the moment which is very exciting now, another interesting aspect is the non-transport applications for for these vehicles. Now, th this is a bit pie in the sky at this point, but what's the future there? Well, th this was a pleasant surprise to me in my learnings as well. Um, when you look at uh, grid instabilities and the variability in spot pricing of electricity and so on, someone said to me one day, Glenn, you've got it all wrong. You're not building electric trucks. You're building mobile batteries. And... In one of our installations, there's, uh, um, uh, what is it, 220 kilowatts, kilowatt hours of charge, which at spot prices of $15,000 per megawatt hour represents $3,300 worth of electricity stored in that truck, <laughs> which that truck could make available to be sold back to the grid. And that's a very profitable truck for that day, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> and if you put 536 of our trucks together, you have the equivalent battery storage uh, to what South Australia have with their Tesla battery. Mm. So um, in a brave new world with lots of electrified uh, trucks, cars, whatevers, 
um, there's the potential that that will perform a, a very valuable grid stabilisation device and and keep those price fluctuations within uh, within within range. Does that mean the grocery delivery would be delayed that day? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, I'm sure Woolworths uh, would rather earn $3,300 from their truck and, uh, and maybe the, the good folk of wherever would be happy to accept those groceries the next day knowing they'll be good and fresh. So talking about good and fresh, um, refrigerated trucks, so you need the power to, for the refrigeration as well as yes. for the- Yes, yes, we, uh, we've built a number of temperature-controlled vehicles for Woolworths, same things with the garbage compaction vehicles, that there's a lot of other things, whether it's fridge motors, power takeoffs, hydraulic systems, the electric control module will control all of those things, and they're still run from the charge from our batteries. And that's the beauty of you doing it all. We were talking earlier about how a company like Ford might want to take over electrification of its vehicles in the future, you're already offering solutions that no one else is looking at. Yeah, we're, we're, we're the real deal. We're, we're here and now. And um, if you look at our vehicles... But they're you, custom solutions as well. Well, they? they are, but um, they're based off of the one fundamental concept, which are our various driveline kits. And we just adapt and modify at the margin to those um, half a dozen baseline kits that we have. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's real. It's live. It's out there, and it's happening in Melbourne. So, in, what's on the horizons for Sea Electrics? Any other new developments that we haven't covered? Um, it's uh, it, the new developments would be uh, the the partnerships with the global players, and um, and you know, if we get to chat again this time in twelve months' time, you know, hopefully. That's, that's what we'll be talking about. More, more story developing there. Fantastic. Where, where can our listeners find out more, Glenn? Uh, easiest place is to, uh, to go to the website, seaelectric.com. Um, so just before we finish, mm-hmm. what are the hurdles? What are the things that you, that you would like encouragement with from government? Oh, perhaps? gosh. Um, well, look, at my core, I'm an economic rationalist, so I, I'm, you know, I pay taxes and I want the dollars to be used appropriately. So I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, um, to say, you know, government should be throwing tens of thousands of dollars at every vehicle. I wouldn't say no if they did, because that's the approach that many other jurisdictions do. But there are some very simple non-monetary incentives or regulatory assistances that can be given, and a perfect example is... Four and a half ton is the demarcation between a truck license and a car license. So anyone with a car license can drive a vehicle up to four and a half tons in gross vehicle weight. If you go above that, you have to have a truck license. Um, all of the companies that wish to be delivering business to consumer, I was talking about the Woolworths phone uh, food deliveries and Coles food deliveries for that matter as well, um, and uh, you know the Amazon um deliveries and so on, um, they all look for a car licence. Now, in New Zealand, that distinction is six tonne. Mm. And an electric vehicle is a little heavier. The batteries are heavy. So if a government could, at the stroke of a pen, change that four and a half tonne to five and a half tonne, for example, it would be so much easier for electrification of those urban vehicles delivering stuff to our homes. 
And um, if there's well, one thing I could uh, that's something make I would a, not have thought of. Plea for that would be it. Great. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Glenn. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. We've been speaking to Glenn Walker from Sea Electrics. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.